Today, we're going to talk about becoming a laser-focused entrepreneur who not only sets ambitious goals, but also crushes them week after week, propelling your business to new heights of profitability and success. I told you about a process that I've been doing for the last six months or so that I'm calling life crafting, which essentially is a time management goal setting type process where I go through every Sunday and I lay out my week where I'm trying to accomplish basically three different goals. And then I take action steps each day of the week to be able to accomplish those three goals. So again, making sure that I have things laid out in a way that I know we're actually accomplishing something rather than just adding something to a checklist and going willy-nilly and maybe I'll get to it today, maybe I'll get to it tomorrow, right? We're actually planning this all out. Part of the, that process is a section that's known as an Eisenhower matrix, which essentially is four quadrants and you post your various different tasks based on the level of importance of each one of those tasks. So the way that I've looked at this is Section number one, these are the, the things that have high priorities, they have a deadline, they have repercussions if the def, that deadline isn't met. Section two is where they may not necessarily have a deadline, but they're still very important tasks, so no real definite due date with any of those. Section three was if these are tasks that are uh, important, but not priority. And then section number four, are the tasks that are not priority and they don't have any type of deadline. So you had some great comments on all of that, on some of the, the things that you're doing and some of the studies that you're doing with various different books. And we thought this would be another great conversation being able to dive into these types of subjects. So I guess that's the framework. That's what we're going to be talking about here. So thoughts there. I, I love this Eisenhower matrix actually. And, it, and it's just to be a little more specific on it. It's important in the important and urgent and then not important and not urgent. Those are the, yes. you know, so one side it's, it's levels of importance. And on the other side, it's a level of urgency, right? And often the thinking is that the, and, and so it's four quadrants, right? You take a, a square and you split it up into four quadrants. And depending on which diagram you look at, it might be on the top left or the top right. I've seen it done both ways on the top left, it would be important and urgent. And then next to it, it would be important, but not urgent. And then below that, often on the bottom left, it would be not uh, important, but urgent. And then of course, the last one would be not important and not urgent. And then there's different thinking, there's a different set of, of, of ideas behind each quadrant. And often, the kind of rule of thumb is that you want to focus on the urgent and important quadrant, right? These are the things that uh, need to be done immediately and that have the highest priority in terms of, because this is connected to kind of goal setting, right? Where you're trying to get. So we can dig into that after we discuss this one first part of this matrix, right? Because you need to have goals of what you're trying to get to, to be able to determine which quadrant your daily activities should go into. So we'll connect that to it in a moment. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the rule of thumb is that you want to focus your time in this urgent and important quadrant. But I think that there's a little 
twist on that is extremely valuable, which is to put a little bit more time into the next quadrant, which is the important but not urgent quadrant. Because it's actually in this quadrant that because it's not what you're doing is not urgent, this is where you're going to develop your long-term strategic thinking. And in fact, actually, that's the long-term strategic thinking that will end up being the most valuable for your business. So if you're stuck in the important and urgent quadrant, you will often find that you're putting out fires, even though those fires may be directly tied to where you think you may want to be going. You then, if you're mostly there during the day, you're not allowing yourself enough time for that all important strategic long-term thinking. So again, it may seem like you're really focused on what's urgent and what's important and you're putting out all these fires and you're getting things done, but you may end up moving in a direction that's not where you want to go because you're focused there because you haven't really, you've lost, you've potentially lost sight of your long-term strategy. Yeah. So yeah. And I, it, the, the difference there would be in quadrant number one, you would be very reactive in all of those situations. You're correct. always reacting correct. to something going wrong, what have you, and you're not really seeing into the future and thinking about these things that you're working on and how they fit into these pieces. You never want to be in a business and always reacting to all of these things going on around you. It's incredibly distracting. We've all done it. We've all been there. It always is still going to happen, but you want to try to eliminate that as much as possible. Exactly. And that's where if you're, you can spend more time in that not urgent quadrant, you will be more, it's a more proactive quadrant. Mm -hmm. And, and that's really the critical difference is that you need to stay in a position where particularly as business owners or business leaders, that we are as proactive as possible and not reactive. And if at all possible, you, even though there's a lot of things that are going to sit in that urgent and important quadrant, consider ways in which some of that can be delegated to someone else. And often when you see the matrix, it's the quadrant below it that says like delegate this stuff, the uh, urgent but not important, delegate all that. Okay, delegate those things, but also see if you can delegate some of the urgent and important items as well so that you can work in the more proactive quadrant and again with long-term planning and that is of critical importance yeah no couldn't agree more i had never thought of this when i was using the eisenhower matrix and i was showing aaron the life crafting process he brought this up and i'm like that really makes a lot of sense and i've never i never really considered it before and you learned or you've been studying a, another book that kind of helped you a, a, a Rory Vaden book. I don't even know if I'm remembering it exactly accurately, but that is generally the idea that I, I, I do understand that he was discussing is that you really need to focus on this long-term, long-term thinking and long-term strategic thinking. And it's also about allowing yourself uh, mental space to be able to have the time to think about those things again, because that's proactive, like just giving yourself however much time during the day, shutting off everything, closing the door and, and just thinking, what is what's going on? Where, where is this headed? What is it that we're doing? What could happen? What might happen? Giving yourself time to think through those things. And I think really, you know, you were talking about return on investment as well. I know we we're going to get to that, but I 
you really think that if you can focus your time there and give blocks of time to that process, that's really going to propel your business forward because mm -hmm. you're, yep. it's yep. all proactive. You're really thinking about what it is that you want to do. And it's all really critically important. This is the most important part of what it is that you're doing. Where is it that you're trying to get to? What's your goal for what you're doing really with anything? And if it's just urgent, important, urgent, important, you're focusing on urgent items. That's not getting, that's not long-term. Those are things that need to be done immediately. That yeah, time is incredibly valuable. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And this all goes along the lines of you want to be working on your business and not in the business. Everybody always right. hears that. But right. putting that into practice, what exactly does that mean, right? Again, are you always responding to things and always being very reactive? That's working in your business. You're not being able to sit back and plan out. This is what this is the thing that we need to build next because it's going to take care of all of these issues or what have you. You're not able to sit back and take that high level overview as to what the problems and issues might be and how to fix it long-term. People might just jump in, throw a bandaid on something and say, okay, it's good. It's, it's done. But again, you're not really, you're not really streamlining anything when you're jumping in and out like that, trying to fix things on the fly. I think one of the challenges there for a lot of people is an understanding of the value of that time because it can feel like it's not valuable. And I was, I'm directly stepping off from your, your comment about working on the business as opposed to working in the business. A lot of the things that you may find yourself doing that really are working on the business can, may not seem like they're gonna, they have value to some degree, right? You may be doing things that like, why am I spending all this time doing this? How do I, how can I quantify this or actually, you know, calculate the return on investment of the, of that time. And for some period of time, you probably can't do it. You won't see it happening. And that's going to be the case as you continue to do more of those things, you'll then start seeing, or be able to qualify some of what you were doing already. And then you'll need to do other things where you won't be able to qualify it and quantify it because what we're doing right now, this conversation is a conversation where we're working on our business, right? We're not working. Neither of us right now are, are doing specific tasks for the day-to-day -day operations of the business we're doing, but this is a, a, a you know, higher level conversation about how we can be effective with our business that's yeah. working on our business. And, and I also feel like this is a very common problem that a lot of people have because most people have gained their skill working for someone else, doing the things that they think it requires to run a business, right? Like actually doing the thing, making the drawings or Absolutely. going out there and fixing the toilets, right? They, that's the part that they know, the actual physical things. Right. And they think that I just need to do more of that to be able to bring the business along or get the business to where we need to go. But there's this other level, again, not working in the business, doing those things, working on the business, that high level. And, and there, it's, I can just go back to Something that's often said, maybe quite slightly cliche is work smarter, not harder. But again, that smarter part though, is in that important, but not urgent because you're thinking, okay, how can I be smarter about what I'm doing? What can I, where do I want this to go? Again, just using your example, if you're out fixing toilets every day, it can be a pain in the ass, right? Mm -hmm. Fix toilets. I don't know if you fix any, you probably yeah, yeah, yeah. put a lot of toilets, right? Sometimes it's really a pain in the ass. It's not fun. 
right? So then you're, you know, you're aggravated with the process. It's not enjoying it. So you're not thinking about why am I fixing all these toilets? What's the goal of it? You haven't given yourself that kind of time to think, where is this all going? And you might actually think, okay, if I just keep doing this, then it's, you know, I'm going to get, but maybe you will, maybe you won't be, you won't know until you actually really start to think through it and then come up with ways in which you can really determine whether that is what will get you where you're going or not. Probably it's a not, but you got to think through it and determine that. Yeah. And you had another book that you were referring to as well. And I'm trying to remember what it was now. What, yes. Which one is yeah. it? This is tied into it. It's called The Gap and the Gain. Mm-hmm. And this is a book I think absolutely everyone should read. Remarkable book. It is a, a co-authored book written by uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy and uh, Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan, uh, of course, is uh, the founder of Strategic Coach, which is a very uh, significant coaching program, very successful coaching program. And it's interesting, they, they, he developed this partnership with you know, this, this young uh, a psychologist who came up with some ideas and they basically, Hardy's writing the books, but it's based on uh, Sullivan's ideas and both their names are on the book. And it's actually the gap in the gain is one of Sullivan's concepts and it, in the goal, it's a very simple idea is that you want to stay in a gain state at, at all times. And that means that there's some momentum, you're, you're making progress, you're moving forward, right? And it's about in, in the difference. This is really it. It's about measuring what you've done backwards. You need to measure backwards, right? What have you done? And you can do it within any time period, right? For your whole life, you can go back to whenever, or you can do it in a short-term basis. Where were you and where are you now? And how do you and measure that? Because the problem, and this is a very much a problem with entrepreneurs and high achievers, is that we're typically uh, putting ourselves in a position where we're measuring ourselves against an ideal, right? And ideals are not achievable. Mm-hmm. Because they're constantly moving, right? You think, okay, I can, very basic. People like numbers, right? I'm going to make a million dollars. That's my ideal, right? But you make a million dollars, okay? You've already changed your goal. Your ideal is now five million. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you still have, and then you haven't attained that. So instead of thinking, okay, I've made a million dollars. Where was I before? And now I'm at a million. And you can really celebrate that. You can. Quantify it and see the gain. That's a gain. Let's say you had a hundred thousand dollars. Now you have a, you made a million dollars, right? That's a huge gain. But if you're at a million and you want five, oh, that's terrible, right? There's a huge gap between where you are, and then it'll go to ten and twenty, whatever. It could get it's it's, it's endless. Doesn't matter. It could be a different goal. Yeah, you want to yeah. buy a certain number of apartments, whatever it is. So the idea is that you're always measuring backwards. And that is staying in the game because you're always measuring your gains. And there's a lot more involved in discussing this so that you can understand it. And obviously I'm recommending reading, reading the book, but one of the chapters I think is really critical chapter five, and they, this is an exercise, a daily exercise that's really valuable to do. And it goes into your, uh, your structure as well, right? Where you're looking for three goals that you're going to accomplish in a week. Three is the sweet spot. So Sullivan, and, and this is his concept also, that in the last hour of your day, shut off everything, 
This is the first and most important hour of your next day. And what you need to do is write down three wins for the day. Mm -hmm. And then also write down three wins that you hope are going to happen tomorrow. And they can be anything. And this is also tied into ideas of, of appreciation and gratitude. Because it, and those can be really simple things. Like often when people start getting into it, I know I was guilty of this too. You think of gratitude. I have to be grateful for these, all these really huge, big things, right? But you could actually just get up in the morning and make yourself a, a, a cup of your favorite coffee and enjoy drinking it and be grateful that you're able to sit in your house or wherever you are and have a nice cup of coffee. That's something you can appreciate. And that could be a win too. That might be one of your wins for for the day that you got up and started your day and you got going and it started off that's a win so it's not that the win has to be today i made a million dollars tomorrow i'm going to make these unrealistic wins they're small wins and, and this is tied into kind of goal setting you take all these little small wins and this is what adds up over time to get to where it is that you want to go and if you think about that three a day right that's 27 in a week, mm -hmm. 27 small wins like that. And even go back to that, what I just mentioned, it sounds really silly, right? Oh, I got up and I got my day going, had a nice cup of coffee. You do that for seven days in a row. That means you got started in the right way seven times, which is likely going to lead you to other wins. Mm -hmm. So just that one little, what seems like could be insignificant will put you in the right position to have other wins. And then every day you're measuring those. And the more you measure them, the more you're going to see the success and, and increase your momentum. And also the importance, and, and I have to say, I, I struggle with the last hour of every day. Like a lot of people, it's an easy time to switch off and get into something else. So it's still a work in progress for me. But if you can really think about your last hour as your first hour of the next day, and that really puts you in a position, a better position when you start your next day. Yeah. So I think this yeah. is a very profound, and then this really, I think ties into this Eisenhower matrix really well, because those wins can be about some of the strategic thinking that you need to do. They can be about the urgent and important also, like I put out all these fires, but also sometimes when I'm logging my wins, it might be a bigger win or an idea. So like my idea, one of the wins that I was hoping to have today was that I have work doing this podcast with you and I have a lot of calls set up. So my win or my goal for the, the win was that I could have good conversations with people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A little more yeah. abstract, right? I, and I, I, so I, yeah, I love that in itself, being able to pick out what, that type of a goal, because again, when I'm going through this, and I do this every Sunday, laying this out for the week. It, it's difficult sometimes to be able, for me to be able to pick out, this is a goal, this is the tasks, or this is the thing that I'm trying to measure, I'm trying to achieve. When you set that goal for you know, having good conversations with each one of the people that you met with today, or when you were in that thought process of evaluating what is the goal? Was there something going through your mind? I need something here that I can measure and how am I going to be able to measure whether or not I've achieved something here? Or what, what is the mindset that you put yourself into being able to 
I guess, come up with that goal. Is there anything there, any process there that you went through to be able to say, yes, this is something that I can measure and I'm going to be able to tell, was I on, was I off, was this good, bad, whatever? Because again, setting out those goals, I think is what a lot of people struggle with. And I like that as a goal. I think that's a great thing to be able to track and measure how communicative, how much did you connect with people? I think that is an awesome goal. I just oftentimes personally struggle with how do I come up with whatever it is that I'm trying to measure? Does that make sense? It, it does. It does. Absolutely. And so it's personal for me because I know that I often talk maybe too much and I'm thinking more about what I'm saying than what I'm, li- what I'm hearing, not listening. I'm really, I've spent spending a lot of time really trying to improve my listening skills. And so for me, when I wrote that as a, one of my kind of wins that I was hoping to have today, I was thinking very much about that. And part of it, then when you write it down, it's a mindset, uh, approach, right? So if I am thinking that way, I want to put myself in a mindset where I know that this is an issue for me and I want to be able to be more successful. And so if I can listen better and then ask better questions from listening, then the conversations will be more successful. So that, and, and I think once I have the, you know, all the meetings at the end of the day, I'll be able to assess it better. So it was partly just a projection to kind of put myself in the right mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that, how you tied it back into something bigger that you're trying to work on. It's not just this, obviously having these good conversations is huge and very important, but it also ties back into this greater thing that you're trying to improve about yourself and even going down the path of identifying that about yourself, that that's something that you want to improve. Going through that entire process as well, these are the things where I'm struggling at. Talk a little bit about your process to identify where you might be lacking at. Is this something where maybe you asked other people that you were close with, where, what can I improve in? Or how did you go about identifying that for yourself? to be able to, to say, these are the things I feel like I need to, to get better at. Okay. This, that's a great, that's a great question. Uh, I really appreciate that. I think that there's, there's two parts that I, two parts in the answer to it. One is that I, I think for the most part, not all of us, but I think most people know what their strengths and weaknesses are. And, and it's really important to be uh, honest with yourself about those strengths and weaknesses. And, and that particularly if you're in, in, in any capacity, but certainly you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you need to know what, what you're good at, what's the lane you should stay in and also where you need some improvement. Um, even on some of those weaknesses, it might be better to get other people to do them, but you need to know what it is mm-hmm. and then understand how you can improve. So you have to really look at yourself with a certain brutal honesty to it. And the other part to it is it's just going back to that Eisenhower matrix and the time in the important but not urgent quadrant is the time where you should be thinking about that, right? Because those understanding those things about yourself are incredibly important, but one might think that they're not urgent because it's abstract. That's a very abstract thing. Oh, I should improve my listening skills, right? Where's the timeline on that? Okay. If I do it by Thursday, then it's really going to impact the ROI of my business this year. I have no idea, right? But what I do know is that if I can have better conversations with people, 
then I'll learn more. I'll connect better with people. I will be able to ask more and better questions. And by doing that, then that will unquestionably create momentum because I'll connect better with the people I need to. I'll get referrals for other people that I should talk to. I'll get all the information that I need and I'll be focused on things that information that I need. And it's all these pieces that you need to string together that are what were all the puzzle pieces, string, ball, what, I don't know, whatever the, the best metaphor is, right? Yeah. Uh, to build that bigger picture. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I want to just really quickly circle back to something that you said before about the, the last hour of the day and sitting down and planning this out. And basically these are the wins for the day, or this is what I'm, I'm grateful for. And then this is what I you know, want to try to accomplish tomorrow. So this is very similar to a process that we use in the technology company where every day, everyone basically says, this is what I did today. This is what I plan on doing tomorrow. And this is what the blockers that I have currently, right? So what, what you're doing there psychologically by you know planning out this is what I want to accomplish tomorrow you're already starting to work on the things exactly. that you need for tomorrow you're exactly. mentally getting things set and oh I forgot I in order to be able to do that that I'm planning on doing tomorrow I need to get this other report or whatever it is so you're already starting to put the pieces in place and creating a successful tomorrow before you even get there so there's a lot of psychological impacts that are happening when you start absolutely. going down that path absolutely in the other very important part of, of this, and it goes back to your process, your Sunday process, is that you need to keep it simple. That's why it's three, mm -hmm. right? Because one of my problems with the, my, my last hour, or maybe it's 24 hour problem is that my mind is constantly going on all the things that I need to do. I go, I have to do all these things. And that's many more than three, right? Could be 300, who knows? And you get lost in it and you get crushed by it and buried by it. But if you really simplify it, make it simple. What are the, what are those things that you need to do now? And again, let's say it was 300, right? Or I'm getting 27 in a week, right? That's over a hundred in a month. So in three months I'd have the 300. That's a lot, right? And I probably really don't have 300. It's just that once it gets over a certain point, you mm -hmm. just get buried by it and you think you have that many. So if you're just keeping it focused on a smaller group of three, and that's achievable. Maybe you don't even get all of them. You might get two, right? Even still, that's good too. That's 14 a week if you're consistent. And then that's going to really move you forward. And then you don't have to you just keep doing it day after day. You don't have to think about all the other things. These are the things that I'm going to do because you'll see them starting to add up. And then you know the process is working and you can trust the process. There's a, a habit component to it. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's all about building momentum. Yeah. Exactly. All about building the momentum and getting going and moving forward with it. Yeah. Love it. And then you're um, measuring your gains, you're winning, you're constantly, you're winning or you're learning what you need to do next. Yep. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Let's close out this on a process that I've started to incorporate into the podcast here. And this is really around what you feel your highest ROI tasks, events, thought processes, whatever it might be, are on a daily basis. And then we you know, dive into that and break that down a little bit. So if you say, again, this can be personal, this can be business, but your highest ROI is creating videos, let's say, and this is the process that I go through to be able to create that. So what would you say is your highest ROI 
thing that you can do on a regular basis and you try to be able to incorporate as much of this into your daily routines and schedule as you possibly can? What would that be? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I, and, I, and for me, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't point to the, just one single thing, but there's a few things that I, I feel like are really important to, to what I'm doing. So we're, we're developing, this is our focus demo, we're developing ground up condominium projects in Brooklyn. That's the focus. There's a few other things that I'm looking at also. And so there's, and there's two components to it that are very critical of what I'm bringing to the table. And one of them is of looking at potential deals and evaluating them and underwriting. So I, I definitely feel like doing that, that work is valuable, although it can be very time consuming because there's a lot of complexity with different potential project sites, but it's not easy to do. And I've learned, cause I've tried to show other people, this is one of the things too, like sometimes you don't know when you get so far into kind of mastery of something, not that I'm a master or anything, but you don't write down all the steps of what you're doing. And then it's hard to teach it to someone else. Whereas if you've just learned it, you can easily teach it like, oh, I just learned this. Here's what I know. You can outline the steps. So there's a lot more that I know is really baked into how I'm looking at something that's more than what most people can look at and, and understand. And, I, and that's mm -hmm. definitely a very valuable uh, skill because it's, there's a lot more to it. We can yeah, go into that. Yeah. That could be a whole nother podcast, I think, because uh, it's it, about evaluating it, properties. It absolutely could. And I just want to dive into your process a little bit more. So, you know, when you're underwriting a deal, like you said, you're doing ground up construction in Brooklyn currently. So that's going to have its own metrics that you're going to need to look at. But you cross over into other asset classes and there's all kinds of other things that you might need to look at. Or maybe it's not even, it might not even be necessarily real estate. Maybe you're looking at some other type of a deal, some other type of an opportunity. There's still an underwriting element that you have to go through and understand in order to be able to say, we should do this deal or we shouldn't do this deal in whatever capacity that might be. Again, you're more on the the sponsor, GC, actual GP, you know, moving forward with that particular project, but maybe you're even considering investing in a particular project, right? So that's what you're moving forward with. So I'm just curious, your mindset when you approach these types of things is there a, a sort of a hierarchy that you go through to be able to say this deal qualifies, the, the area qualifies, the opportunity qualifies, then whatever the next step below that, it misses here. So do you have a hierarchy that you walk through to be able to determine, yes, check number one, it, it, this is level number one, it checks that box. The level number two, it checks this box. What is your process to be able to go through to qualify that? Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, it does. Absolutely. And, and again, you know, so because I, I have a way in which I do it, I don't have a, like a top 10 list of things that, that I've written down, although I do have an underwriting model that I use and it needs to fit into that in a certain way. But mm -hmm. there's an initial evaluation of whether something looks like it's going to work or, or whether it's not going to work. And there are some, there are some aspects of different potential project sites that some people might not readily see. For example, again, we're in Brooklyn. There's a lot of uh, subway lines that run through Brooklyn. And if you're within 200 feet of one of them, it's going to add significant cost to your project. Zoning and zoning questions, and then other aspects of zoning or potential project costs or risk factors that could add time to a project, right? So all of those questions are really important to ask. And I'm going through all of those and going through all the numbers and, and trying to understand what a site is. 
I'm also looking for sites that could offer, let's say, an untapped upside. Because one of our focuses, and this is also the other part where we're saying, what, where's my return on investment? Is my background is in art and design. And I'm working specifically doing a lot of design work on our projects. So I'm looking for uh, potential project sites where that work could add value to the project. And it's value both from, let's say, a, a number standpoint that potentially we can get a higher dollar value return on the investment, but also where design is extremely valuable and the kind of work we're doing is just about the absorption of the units in the market. If you're sitting on condos or other property, could be different type of property, for an extensive period of time with at the maximum loan that you've taken out for the project, it, it's very costly. So how can you help mitigate that as a risk factor? If you build something that just looks better and is more appealing and more interesting than what other people are looking at, that's really going to help with that component of your project. And it can also increase the, the exit numbers on, on your project as well. So that's another component that I'm focused on working on and I'm looking for, so they're connected, right? I'm looking for project locations where I can see that there could be that kind of upside in doing a better project, more thoughtful project. And it's not going to be in every location, but me, and there's differences from one location to another. And it could be even that it's different in a half a mile rate stretch of, of distance, right? Half a mile because we're in a, a fairly dense urban area, three quarters of a mile for sure. You're in a different neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. When you, I, what I'm trying to get to is again, this sort of stepping process. And I think like you mentioned, you have a model that you go through. And I'm just curious, your hierarchy that you go through to enter in information into your model. Step number one, obviously you put in the address, right? What's the next thing that you look at when you're entering okay, well, into your model? This is a good question. I'm going to just give it to you the other way. I'm going to work backwards, right? Okay. We're trying to get to, we're doing ground up development, new development, particularly ground up is often considered the most risky from an investment standpoint. I'm trying to get a project to pencil out at an investor return uh, at 23.5%. That's the target. If I can get to that or something close to it. And then there's some variation. One underwriting model is just that. You're trying to do the best you can based on all the variable factors, right? So that's where I'm trying to get to in the end. And there's a bunch of levers that can change in the underwriting model that may or may not make that exit 23.5% on an average annual return basis. So uh, getting to that, that, that 23.5 AAR. So obviously the number, first number is the way my underwriting model is set up. It's uh, sources on the top and then uses below it. And so I'm looking for where the money's coming from and then how it's being used. So it's in the lower section is the most critical. So the purchase price, the acquisition costs, this is your cost basis for what you're building, then hard co cost contingency, soft costs, and then there's some other peripheral costs, uh, developer fee interest reserve and closing costs. And there's a lot that's packed into each one of those, those numbers. And in most cases, I have a separate spreadsheet for all for them, right? The hard costs, mm -hmm. of course, although I'm using some larger numbers, because I have an understanding of what the hard costs should be price per square foot. But for the other numbers, there could be a whole spreadsheet, separate spreadsheet for each, for each cell, right? 
there's a lot of information. And then I'm looking at from there, the structure of the building, what I'm going to, what we can build based on the zoning, and then looking at comparable sales and trying to understand what that exit number would be. And then that's going to get to the kind of bottom line number on the you know, return on the project based on the capital. Uh, and then you can really tweak it out in a significantly, depending on how you look at it, how you capitalize the project, cash flow, what, how long you really think it's going to take, get into some of the, the granular details. But I, my feeling is that if it doesn't work, getting to a percentage that's close to the 23.5 in the AAR basis, doing it fairly quickly, you're probably not going to head in the right direction. So if you have to keep sharpening your pencil, like if I'm at 19 and then I have to like, okay, that's not, I'd rather do that. And I'm at 25, then I know, okay, if I tighten it up a little bit, it's still going to be where I want it to be. It's challenging because a lot of pro properties are overpriced. All right. So if you wanted to learn more from Aaron, or if you wanted to check out some of the projects that they're involved in, and they are doing some amazing work right now, go ahead and check them out at designdrivesvalue.com. Again, that was designdrivesvalue.com.